Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the JWB Fantasy Football Podcast. He's Justin. I'm Wyatt. And on today's show, we're going to be doing our top three booms, busts, and movers. And we'll also be doing our usual NFL news segment. But first, Justin, I wanted to talk to you real quick because we had our first draft last night, which was pretty exciting. We have a draft between us and our friends. How do you think it went? Uh, better than expected. The quality of the draft was really high. I think it was just a outstanding first draft for us to have to get a look at where people were going. I know it was interesting that I had won the first overall pick in this league. So we got a good look at both ends of the draft board. Um, what'd you, what'd you think? Yeah. So picking at eight was interesting because, uh, you know, having to watch how the draft is going to start, see if people went, you know, running back, running back, running back, right off the bat, how many wide receivers are going to go before me. I ended up with Derrick Henry, who's my number six guy on the board. So I was happy about it. Now you were at one and of course, start off with Christian McCaffrey as, as usual, but the draft kind of got hard for you in the first few rounds. Yeah, I was very, very angry when uh, the targets that I had set for myself, which was to get either Kenyon Drake or Miles Sanders, and if I absolutely had to, Austin Eckler at 2021 to ensure that I had a solid second running back, uh, was undone pretty early. If I'm remembering correctly, by pick 15, all three of those guys were off the board. So there was a little a run on wide receivers leading up to me uh, that ultimately forced me into doing something that I have talked on this show frequently about not wanting to do, which is go with one running back in the first three picks. But I didn't have much of a choice. I, I ended up with Tyree Kill and Chris Godwin. I wasn't very happy with that combination to go with Christian McCaffrey, but I didn't feel comfortable reaching for what on my board would have been Todd Gurley at pick 20. Um, but ultimately, by the time we got to 40, was able to kind of overdraft, maybe just marginally overdraft David Montgomery, who we have talked a lot about our love of on this particular show uh, to go with Cooper cup. And then all of a sudden with Hill Godwin and cup and Montgomery to supplement too, I felt a bit better. Um, but it is something that was interesting to see kind of develop right in front of my eyes that we've preached taking running backs and how important it is. And here I'm looking at a team that has Christian McCaffrey, which is obviously wonderful, but David Montgomery, Ronald Jones and JK Dobbins are two, three, four on my running back depth chart. And none of those guys are the type of sure things that I was obviously hoping on when I was thinking I wanted to get someone like Sanders at pick 20. If I'm recalling correctly, there were parts of this year where I think if you'd have told me that I wasn't going to get even Austin Eckler at pick 20, I'd have laughed you out of the room. So I think it shows that the community as a whole is really, really starting to put the emphasis on running backs as people are moving into their draft dates now this week and next week. Yeah, I think going in, we thought that, you know, like Chris Godwin, Tyreek Hill would go before a few of those running backs. And that's why you'd be left with one of them at pick 20. But I think you did the right thing by, you know, adjusting, just taking the top guys off your board, which were Tyreek Hill and Chris Godwin, and then finding their running back value where you could the rest of the draft. So I, I, I do think you recovered from it very well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I thought your draft was excellent as well. I think you were grabbing a lot of the JWB value picks. Uh, you came out of it with Antonio Gibson, Marvin Jones, Robert Woods, Johnu Smith, 
I took Gardner Minshew a little bit earlier than expected. So we did get a lot of the guys who we really, really wanted to get based on some conversations that we've had here on the show. Yeah, I think I was lucky where I was able to just draft by the top of my board at every pick. I didn't really have much issue with that by position or anything. You know, I started with Derrick Henry. Then I got Josh Jacobs in the second, Mahomes in the third, uh, Tyler Lockett in the fourth, Robert Woods in the fifth. So I, I thought I just started off really well, and I was able to just, you know, ride out my rankings the whole way through. Yeah, so let's... uh. Let's hope that the rankings and the drafts go as well for us as we think this particular league did, because now we're going to move on into a lot of other ones in coming weeks, that's for sure. Yeah. Let's move on to our NFL news. Our first piece is that Mike Williams could miss the beginning of the season with a sprained shoulder. Now, I don't think we were going to be drafting him in any leagues, but does this do anything for you for the rest of the pieces in that in that offense? It doesn't do a whole lot for me. I wasn't expecting him to have just this massive over-the-top role anyway, at least not in a way that was going to detract from Eckler or detract from Allen or anything uh, of that nature. So I you know, wasn't really taking him in drafts anyway. I was always bypassing him for other guys, so not a lot of needle movement for me on this one. Next, we've got a couple of running back injuries that happened where Miles Sanders right now is being considered week to week with a lower body injury and Kenyon Drake was seen in a walking boot from what I've read both of these are more precautionary than anything which I think is going to be a running theme with all this news that we get you know a lot of these injuries are just kind of precautionary especially for these big names where they teams want to make sure that their guys are going to be healthy for the beginning of the season I think Kenyon Drake even poked fun at the fact that people were commenting on him walking in a boot on Twitter. So does this do anything for you? I hope not. I mean, you broke both of these pieces of news to me here just before we came on air and I am going to have to trust your judgment on it. But what makes you think it was precautionary? Just like the cavalier attitude about being in a walking boot. Just some things are suggesting what the reports that are coming out are making it sound as though these are more uh, being safe and precautionary with the injuries and not, and they're not necessarily serious. Okay. I hope so. So, I mean, obviously we're going to have to monitor all kinds of these things to separate fact from fiction as we get closer to uh, week one, which at this point is what only a couple weeks away. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. We're really starting to get there for needing to know, who's healthy, who's not, who's on rosters and what their roles are going to be. So um, I guess maybe if this, as we've said before, maybe if this is a conversation we're talking about on next week's show, we really ought to dive into it then at that point. But what we just looked last week or the week before at guys like AJ Green, who we mentioned were precautionary injuries, and now it proved over time that all of those were just fine. It was much ado about nothing. So it, it is very likely that these are the same situation. Yeah, I, I think you're right that basically we just need to check back in a week and, and see what's going on. Moving on to another running back. It's been reported that Dalvin Cook isn't actually participating in the drills for training camp, which is really interesting. Uh, I was reading that, you know, the CBA is uh, laid out in a way that it forces players to show up for training camp. But what's interesting is that after that, it doesn't really penalize them for not really participating in any way. And even Adam Schefter made a note uh, that if he doesn't have a deal done by the beginning of the season, that he is very concerned about 
about Dalvin Cook's season because Dalvin Cook could be, you know, maybe he walks into the injury staff and says, ah, my leg hurts today, and he just doesn't play. Do you think there's any truth to this kind of, like, he might be fine, but he's not actually participating? Well, I assume he's not participating because it's camp. I can't imagine he's not participating because he doesn't actually have a long-term intention of playing. I certainly hope not. I mean, I don't... I guess it's tough to say from what we're we're saying Schefter said, but maybe that's in jest a little bit. I guess for what it's worth, man, I'm not worried about Dalvin Cook. I expect him to play. I expect him to understand that he needs to play to get the type of contract that he's looking for. But I'm just viewing this as maybe the most latest way that a guy is telling a team like, hey, I want you to know that I am upset, but also at the same time, I'm not here to get fined. And I'm here for my teammates. So I show up to camp but I'm not participating in those drills. And I think that's okay. If they tell me leading up to week one, like a few days before their first game, that he's not expected to put in a full effort or play a full amount of snaps, then maybe we'll have to worry about it then. But I can't see myself passing Dalvin Cook at pick 789 because of this particular news, not at this point. Yeah, I think I align with you on this. I'm not adjusting my ranks yet. Like you said, if it gets closer to draft day and uh, this is still going on or it's still being reported that he's not participating or if we get any other kind of news like this, then I'll start to worry. But I think you're right that he does kind of have to play. He's he's not in a situation like Le'Veon Bell because Dalvin Cook has had a problem with injuries and is, you know, in a way somewhat unreliable. Le'Veon Bell didn't have that problem when he sat out. So there was basically no doubt that he was going to get his contract. Dalvin Cook, I mean, I'm I'm not. So sure. I think he does need to play. Yeah. And I think he knows that. Otherwise, why would he be there in the first place? What's he going to show up and not participate in practices or games? He would still lose game checks if he says, I'm not going out for games. And what's he, if the plan is, let me try and force the Vikings into keeping me on the roster, but not using me, that only hurts his long-term value. So again, none of this suggests that it's going to mess up his year. If I thought he was a, maybe like you said, Lavian Bell, if he was a guy in a new offense where I was worried about his role or how he was going to fit in, that would be one thing. But I know what Dalvin Cook's going to do throughout the year, and I know what he's going to give me. I, I think like, sure, if I'm picking four or five and I'm in a league, especially in a PPR league, and I want to take a step back here and go, all right, maybe I'm going to look at Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas as 4A and 4B to take a picks four and five, and then Dalvin Cook's there at six, great. Maybe I don't want him at four overall, but if we're hitting, like I said, seven, eight, nine, and I'm starting to get into the nitty gritty of, am I going to take Dalvin Cook or Aaron Jones? I'm still going to default to taking a guy like Cook. So if you find yourself picking six, seventh, eighth in a draft coming up soon, I guess I'd definitely be keeping an eye on this situation because there's good potential that you're going to see that name there when otherwise you wouldn't have. Our last piece of news is that Tyrell Williams has a torn labrum in his shoulder, but is actually going to try and play through it. But I think what this actually means is that now Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, the two rookies over in Las Vegas, will be starting now. I mean, I don't think Tyrell Williams was going to be much of a factor anyways, but now it seems like, I mean, I don't think he's going to be a factor at all. And it seems like the the Raiders are now going to have to rely on those rookies. Do you want to move either of these guys up your board now because of this? Probably not. 
if there was a little more history or track record there, then I think we could talk. But they're still just flyers to me that I wouldn't want as anything other than wide receiver five on my team. It is possibly good news for them, but I think that's one of those things where it's going to take a few games for us to figure out how good the absence of Tyrell Williams could be for them or not. I don't think there's a lot we can do with it leading into drafts. Yeah, I agree that I think that they're still just wide receiver fives. Maybe they're a little bit higher up on that scale of wide receiver fives. And maybe their targets that you want to monitor in the beginning of seasons, if they go undrafted or if someone else has them and you see that breakout coming before someone else, maybe you can try and buy low on them. But I, th- I think you're right. I think they're still wide receiver fives for now. Yeah, I do think what you say there is very interesting, though. That does make a lot of sense that those are guys I probably want to flag or put on my watch list if they happen to go undrafted. Because I got to think in some regular 15-round leagues, they will go undrafted. That could become a very popular pickup, or if they can come out of the gate strong with a good week one, you might be on to something. Um, but I don't know. When it comes to some of the other rookies that I have liked the whole time, like Brandon Ayuk, for example... Uh, it, maybe it narrows the gap between them a little bit. I don't think it puts them above a guy like Jalen Rager. Oh, absolutely not. I, I, th- yeah. I mean, I think Jalen Rager is probably just in wide receiver four territory, so I don't think it's even a conversation right. there. Me too. All right. Moving on to our main segment of this week's show, we're going to be doing our booms, busts, and ADP movers. We're going to be starting off with our booms. We're each going to give our top three. I'm going to give my first one to start off, which is Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley is currently being drafted as wide receiver 17 in the fourth or fifth round. But in the JWB projections, he's actually projected to finish in the top 10. And I've talked about Calvin Ridley a good bit so far in the episodes that we've done because I am a huge Calvin Ridley fan. But I'm just going to bring out some more stats for everybody. Last year, after Mohamed Sanu left, Calvin Ridley was averaging 8.2 targets a game. And that works out to about 131 for the entire year. If you took Calvin Ridley's career catch percentage, touchdown percentage, you know, yards per catch, and he got 131 targets, it would give him 90 catches, just under 1,200 yards, and 12 touchdowns, which would have to be in competition for wide receiver one. Now, with this many targets, his efficiency will go down a little bit, but I still expect him to perform very well this year, and I'm drafting him just outside the top 10 wide receivers. So I... I wish that I had some stuff I could disagree with, but I I can't in terms of Ridley. I was very defensive about him going into our initial plotting of rankings. Like way back in the beginning, you had to sell me on the amount of targets he was going to get and what his ceiling would be. But I've watched him rise, not only up your rankings, but a lot of other expert rankings as well. And just the volume that I expect him to see and the level of talent that he has kind of bears out that he ought be going higher. So uh, it it is a name that really interests me because I keep looking at other guys who are going in the same range as Ridley in a lot of drafts. And he's always my favorite of those names. So uh, I guess here, since we're talking about booms in particular, right, Wyatt, that the the idea is that we want to highlight for people, here's names that you should just jump at if you see that they're there. And if you are in the fourth or fifth round and Ridley's there and you have any need for a wide receiver or for a strong flex, I think it's got to be a target that you go after pretty hard. Now, uh, let me give you 
one of mine. I want to start with uh, Antonio Gibson. And I know we've discussed him a lot from a couple of different angles, especially because he went from almost an unknown sleeper quantity to now a very known quantity after Darius Geis was let go. But I still think that he's someone who will massively outperform the position that he is being drafted in. Uh, But it does depend a little bit on what draft you're in, where I think you should take him. So Gibson has the ability to come out and get just what ought to be a very high amount of work in the Washington football team offense. And when I looked at the draft board and did a bunch of different mock drafts, one thing that jumped out at me about Antonio Gibson, Wyatt, is that he generally, even still with the hype train kind of moving up on him, is the last guy that I see on the board in many a draft where I can look at it and go, you know what, this guy's going to get the ball at least 10 times a game. He's the last man standing out of that list of people who ought see that many touches within a game. And his ceiling has dramatically increased as we've gotten closer to the season. And I've heard a little bit more about how Rivera feels about him and watched Geis leave that team and not really gotten any more clarity about what Adrian Peterson could or couldn't do. So he has all the makings of a standout running back because of his athleticism. And the fact that he can catch passes, which is going to mean a lot in your half PPR and PPR leagues. I saw initially that he was almost undrafted. He was in the 170s, 180s when you and I started talking about him as a hype candidate. And now he has moved up into the 140s for average draft position. But this is a place where I think we have to be really careful because the reason why he's moved up to the 140s is because people are taking him in the 10th or 11th round, and that is bringing the average ahead. You remember when you got him last night? Yeah, I took him in the 9th, actually. You took him at 88 overall, and it made perfect sense. And I think I had mentioned at the time that I was looking and thinking, boy, I might have a shot to get him at 100, and he wasn't there. So it's becoming a question of if he's going to go in the eighth or ninth round, is he still going to outperform his value in that particular spot? And for me, the answer is yes. I'm kind of expecting that at the end of each game, even as he slowly starts the season, and you got to be able to take Gibson and have some patience. We're definitely looking at what ought be some five, 10-point games to start the season. But I think he's going to have the ability to put up 30, 40 yards and catch some balls right out of the gate with every chance that those can turn into 80, 90, 100 yard games with touchdowns as time goes on here. And a lot of other guys being picked in that area or even before that, like your Cam Akers, your DeAndre Swifts, who are going like a round or two rounds ahead of him. I don't necessarily know that I trust those guys to put up those numbers. So uh, he he's maintained himself as like my favorite sleeper and even post sleeper candidate as we get here into draft day. Yeah, I I think my favorite thing about Antonio Gibson on the Washington football team is that there's a clear path for him to see 50, 60 catches in that offense. And you're right. I think he will end up touching the ball at least 10 times a game. And someone with his playmaking ability, 10 touches a game might be all you need. And you've talked about, you know, where he's getting drafted and, like, I drafted in the ninth round, as you spoke of, and the reason why I did that is because I felt really good about the first couple running backs I got, and I felt like I could start to take those really high-potential guys, which I think, you know, Antonio Gibson is. So I think, based on roster construction, you can start to move him up your board because you are you can take that risk. I, I, I think you're dead on with everything you said about him. Moving on to my second boom, who is Janu Smith, 
another guy who we've talked about as much as we can, really. We're trying to hype him up as much as we can this offseason. He's currently <laughs> being drafted as the tight end 16th. He's going in the 13th, 14th round. But I think he should be going much higher than that. He should be the number two target in the Tennessee passing game. He was very good in the limited time he was able to get last year. He was actually third in fantasy points per target amongst all tight ends last year. And when you consider that he should get a giant uptick in his targets this year, I think that he's just really going to have a giant year and really kind of explode. And I'm I'm picking him in my top 10 tight ends. I think that he is a good bet to finish in the top 10. What makes you think that his ceiling could be even higher than that? Because the knock is that he's not going to have an opportunity to catch a ton of passes because they're simply not going to throw the ball enough for him to turn into a standout. So what makes you feel differently about that? Well, for one, I think he can do more with less compared to some other tight ends. But I do think he's still going to see over 80 targets this year in the offense because he's probably going to be the number two target in the passing offense. And I also think he's going to be used heavily in the red zone and he could end up being one of the tight ends who, you know, has like eight touchdowns on the year. That could make all the difference. If he only comes out of the year with five or six touchdowns, I have to think that he's still going to finish close to tight end 10 at that point, which would still outperform where he's being taken. So I, I think I'm with you. Like I've watched him go up more and more on draft boards, just like I was talking about with Antonio Gibson. And that's made me a little bit more nervous because now I've noticed when I want to get Johnu Smith, I have to take him and the other tight end that I want to pair with him earlier and earlier than I originally wanted to. But the value does still seem to be there. So I think you're right as far as finding an overperformer. Um, on my end, I'm going to highlight our absolute love on the JWB football <laughs> fantasy podcast of, of DJ Moore for what is probably going to be the last time here before we get into actual game performance. But the the more that we have poured over the numbers for the receivers that are going in that group of receivers at the end of the second beginning of the third round, the more DJ Moore has jumped over all the other competition. For me, we have talked a lot about how we think that Carolina will have to throw early and often, that he's going to be a target monster. He'll catch those targets. Bridgewater will deliver them where he can catch them, which is the other important part of that. But he also has the ability to bring in touchdowns, maybe break a big play every once in a while. He has all the makings to give me everything that I need to get what I, th I think is going to be a top three wide receiver at the end of the year. And as I look at it and I wonder, like, well, is Devontae Adams going to take a little bit of a step back? What's going on with the Arizona offense? And should I worry a little bit about uh, Hopkins? You know, if, if Julio Jones isn't giving me touchdowns like he's done at certain points, is there going to be a dip there? Is Brady going to have an impact on Evans that's negative? Is Godwin going to perform the way Godwin did before, right? Like uh, some of those valid questions I have better answers to the questions that surround DJ Moore. So last night, I almost took him over Chris Godwin to pair him with Tyreek Hill at 2021 and wasn't quite able to pull that trigger. And then he was off the board within the next two or three picks after that. So we're looking at a guy that at one point was being picked in the fourth round, and he's now starting to get picked 
in the middle or early third. So be prepared to do that. I just think that this is a situation where if you find yourself in a PPR league where wide receivers start to flow off the board a little earlier than you'd like, and there's a run on guys like Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins somewhere where the first round turns into the second round, which is entirely possible. DJ Moore at the very end of the second or the very beginning of the third still seems like a good pick to me. And I do expect that he's going to outperform those guys. So at the end of the year, I think there's not going to be a lot of surprises. I think Michael Thomas is going to finish as the number one receiver. And I think the sheer volume and big playability of Tyreek Hill does make him my favorite to finish as number two. I think DJ Moore is going to be right behind those guys at number three. Yeah, I, I don't think DJ Moore still gets enough respect because he he hasn't been much of a touchdown threat in his career so far. He was playing on a really bad Carolina Panthers team last year. But he's one of the only guys in the NFL that you could say might actually catch 100 balls this year. And With, like, impunity. Right. The, and, yeah. And if he gets right. involved in the red zone at all— more than he has been, you're right. He could be up there, you know, with the top guys very, very easily. And isn't there just something to be said too about being able to have a wide receiver that isn't touchdown dependent where you're not looking at a guy like, right? Like Robert Woods is not touchdown dependent necessarily. And I right. know what I'm going to get from him, but DJ it's not Moore is probably a better Robert game. At this point. Right. And I know, and I think that I can count on that now. And because maybe because he hasn't quite done it yet. And this is what I think is going to be the first year where he really does it. Like I said on one of our previous episodes, and I'm going to stand by this, that I think this is the last year that DJ Moore isn't a first round pick. I think right. he is the person who's being taken at the end of the first round where Devontae Adams and Julio Jones are going by the time we start having this discussion next year. I just don't really see a lot of games where he's not giving me 20 points in a PPR league. Like I'm expecting his normal everyday type of game to be eight or nine catches for close to a hundred yards. And who knows what else is going to come along with that. So I, I, I absolutely love him. And I wasn't ready to put him there when we first started looking at numbers, but I, I haven't been able to find any negative counterpoints to my feelings on him as we've gotten into doing actual drafting now. My last boom is going to be David Montgomery, who's another guy who I just can't stop talking about. Uh, basically, what it comes down to is he is guaranteed a volume that a lot of other running backs are not guaranteed. He had 267 touches as a rookie, and we're expecting that to increase. Volume is king, especially when it comes to running backs. He was eighth in the NFL in goal line carries last year, so you know that he's going to be the guy getting the ball if they ever get close to the end zone. I expect this offense to be better this year, and by proxy, David Montgomery to be better. So I think he's going to weigh out for form where he's getting drafted now, which he's being drafted as RB23, and we're drafting him, you know, right in like the 16th, 17th, 18th range. I don't have too much to contribute there. I took him last night. So I'm <laughs> I'm right there with you. I, it just, all of the metrics suggest positive regression from a guy that you could almost live with last year. So I sure like he's not my running back one. Like he's my running back two on a team where I have extremely good wide receivers 
And his ability to outperform where he's being drafted to me is way higher than the Lavian Bells and David Johnson's and Melvin Gordon's that are going in that same range of the draft. Right. Why don't you tell me about your last boom? I would love to do so. So for me, I'm going to wrap up here with one of my favorite guys, which is Josh Jacobs. And I struggled with this one a lot because I wanted, I wanted booms to represent guys who are going to outperform their average draft position. And it's very tough to outperform an early second round pick. I don't have a lot of margin for error on this one here. And that's why I wrestled with it. But I think that at the end of this particular season, Josh Jacobs is going to turn in a Ezekiel Elliott like season. I think Josh Jacobs is going in the top five running backs and is going to be drafted in the first five picks of next year. And here's why the volume is going to rival what Saquon Barkley and to an extent, Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott are going to see. There isn't that tiny little question that surrounds Dalvin cook there isn't the injury history or potential risk of what the offense may do to him on any given game that we have seen with Alvin Kamara. I don't have to worry about his complete total lack of passing involvement the way that I do with Derrick Henry. And as a lot of people say, even though I don't necessarily feel this way myself with Nick Chubb, and I don't think there's as much of a chance for regression as there is with Aaron Jones. And what lets me come to that conclusion comfortably is his work on pass protection and pass catching throughout the offseason and the things that I have heard coming out of the Raiders camp about him. If we're able to get 40 catches out of Josh Jacobs in just a minor uptick, just a minor second-year uptick in his numbers from last year, he becomes a top-five running back. So for a lot of people, I think the question has been, How do I trust that he's going to have some type of big jump without the passing game? And I've been able to look at what I expect to be an average passing year for Jacobs, which is enough to vault him way up into that category. So I know he has a reputation for not being a pass catcher. So if he can even get to, like I said, anywhere around or slightly below league average in those passing numbers, he should be flying up the board in most situations. And I really think that they're going to make a concerted effort to have him block release and catch a few balls a game to help make things easier for that Vegas offense. And I don't think that's asking a lot of him. Listen, if I could tell you right now that Jacobs is going to play 16 games this year, and he's going to get at least three targets in all of those games, that's almost doubling his passing work, right? Like, how, how quick would you sign up for that? Three targets a game. That would be pretty great. But, you know, I'm I'm not as confident as you that he's going to get that increase in passing work. I, I heard an interesting stat that he had all of his catches last year on first and second down. He didn't even get a catch on third down. Does that worry you? No, it doesn't. Because I think that that's one place this year where when I break it down in terms of how many I need for him in game, what I need is, like, one third down catch a game at any point anywhere. And I think this year he has that opportunity and everything that they've said about his work in the off season suggests that he would get that opportunity. 
so last year, a lot of that third down work was going to the very capable hands of Washington. And Jalen Richard. Well, sure, yeah. But without Washington there, I think that's a much bigger piece. I think the contract that Kansas City gave him and the way they came after him but they also did draft, how important his piece is. But they did also draft Lynn Bowden Jr. Does that does that do anything for you? No, not as much either. Because again, I think it's going to take a little while for rookies, even very capable rookies, to get fully involved in the offense. And he would not fall into the category of our most capable rookies, right? So uh, sure, might they get a little bit of work? Yes. But again, right? Like I don't need an explosion. I need one third down catch a game to go with two first or second down catches a game. And we have like tripled his passing game production from last year. And I do think, and you can't come to the conclusion that I'm coming to without also believing that the touchdowns and the yardage are going to maintain and increase at least a little bit. And I think that that will be there. And I I'm just kind of going all in on it. Like I have quite a few drafts coming up where I'm drafting towards the end of the first round and I'm starting to ask myself, you know, am I going to be cute and try and go with a pick and then get Jacobs on the back end? Or am I just going to go ahead and lock in and take Jacobs early? And that's not a discussion that I was having with myself like two or three weeks ago. It's just tough. So part of the reason why I wanted him on the boom list is because, yeah, I do think that he's going to outperform his like 13 to 18 ADP, depending on what site or rankings you look at. But I also wanted to highlight for people that I do think this is a situation where you have to be very cognizant of Josh Jacobs in standard and half PPR formats in particular, because I think you're looking at a guy here that if you're picking at the end of the first round, you might be able to pair up with somebody and still take in the second. And that's massive. Who did you draft last night, Wyatt? I did take Josh Jacobs in the beginning of the second round. What pick was it? Yeah, I took him. I took him at pick 13. Um, now, just because I'm disagreeing with you a little bit doesn't mean I'm not still high on Josh Jacobs. I just believe he might not get quite as much pass, passing volume as you do. Yeah, no, and that's understandable because it is a little bit of a projection and a reach to think that he's going to get that kind of volume. And I do really, really, really think that just that moderate uptick in passing that I expect Vegas to commit to for him is what's going to make all the difference. Now we're going to be moving on to each of our top three busts. And these are players who are being taken in the early to mid rounds that we don't think are going to meet the expectations of where they're being drafted. Justin, why don't you give me your first one? Okay. I'll start with Devin Singletary and I love Singletary and he was one of my favorite free agent pickups uh, for my teams last year, but he's not touching the ball enough to return his value to me. And I really, really worry about them bringing in Zach Moss to take his goal line work and some of his passing work and some of his carries, especially when we're between the twenties. And that, that worries me too much to be on board with Singletary. I think that he can have a perfectly fine season where he ends up picking up three, four, five yards, a carry and is not the guy he was last year, but is some semblance of the guy he was last year. And what you get is a week-to-week player that you can't warrant flexing every time you need to. And he's being drafted almost exactly where Raheem Mostert is going. He's being drafted what was ahead of and is now just one tick behind Montgomery, who we've discussed 
ad nauseum. And I just can't get on board with being in love with him this season. I think at the end of the year, there's less games where he has 12 touches than there are games where he has more than 12 touches. And that's not sustainable for a flex running back. Yeah, I think you're right that he's just not going to have the work that you'd want for someone where you're going to have to draft him. Like you said, I think he's only going to get, you know, touches in between, you know, the 20s. He's not going to see the red zone work because that's going to be Zach Moss territory or Josh Allen territory. And if Zach Moss is eating into his passing work, too, I mean, his his ceiling is capped and it's pretty low, honestly. Right. And all of this was without the mention of the fact that you and I believe that you don't do something like bring in Stefan Diggs if you don't understand that your method to get down the field is to take some big shots. And taking right. big shots even further hinders a guy like Singletary. You're right. My first bust is Evan Ingram, which if you listen to our tight end episode last week, you already know that we are much, much lower on Evan Ingram than the rest of the fantasy community. He's being drafted as the tight end six, but we're not willing to draft him until at least tight end 15. He's a guy who's been injury prone through his whole career. He's been inefficient as a receiver and has really lived off of volume when he's been healthy. And now we don't expect him to get anywhere near the volume that he would need to be a relevant tight end for this year. So we are basically completely off Evan Ingram. We just we just don't get the ADP at all. I, I'm pretty sure, Justin, you're right along with me on that one, right? Yeah, I am. And as we've started to do more live drafts, it is just staggering to me the value that is available at tight end later. Um, I think the only way that you could stomach a guy like Ingram or Waller, for me too, for that matter, is if you have some extraordinarily strong feeling about how they're going to perform this year. Because if you like, not love, if you like Ingram and Waller, and you also find that you like even two out of Henry, Higby, Gronk, Smith, Goddard, Hooper, Hurst, and I could continue to guys like Jarwin as well, you have no business investing in the type of ADP that you have to pay to get Ingram when all of those guys are available later. Um, I'll, I'll jump right in and give you another guy that I feel a bit guilty about, uh, but that's going to be James Connor as a bust for me. And the reason that I'm putting him in as a bust is because I've seen him go right around the turn where round four turns into round five, just consistently throughout the whole draft process. And he hasn't moved up or down anybody's boards. He's kind of just stayed in that same range. And I think part of the reason why he hasn't moved is because nobody expects him to do better than where he's being drafted late four, early five. There's that hope and a prayer that he has a low tier running back one high tier running back to ceiling, but nobody firmly really believes that he's just going to come out and hit it. And it's because there's too many negative factors that have convalesced together for Connor this year. The injury history and his ability to produce when he's banged up is not great. The way that that offense is structured is not great for him. And I personally, and this is the big difference maker for me, think that they're going to be a disaster this year with Roethlisberger at quarterback and that it's only a matter of time before he is not the quarterback there. And that that uncertainty is going to continue to diminish Connor's value. So I don't expect him to return anything other than very low end flex numbers and that's not what you're expecting when you're taking a running back at the end of round four. Yeah, I mean, when he's healthy, and if you could say that he was going to be healthy all this year, he would be drafted as 
you know, a low end RB one or high end RB two, but there's just so many questions about his health. There's been so many games where he started the game, but left early in addition to just the games that he's missed. It, it's you're right. It's just, there's too much going on for me to want to draft him as someone that I would have to rely on. Another guy in that Pittsburgh offense who is my second bust is Juju Smith Schuster, which he's being drafted as the number 11 wide receiver. And, you know, I kind of understand why two years ago he was a top 10 receiver and going into last year, he was being talked about as the possible number one receiver overall because he was going to be the guy in Pittsburgh's offense. But what we saw last year after big, big Ben got hurt is that he might not actually be an alpha number one wide receiver in the NFL without someone drawing coverage off of him on the other side. He was basically outperformed a lot of the season by Deontay Johnson or James Washington and we know the Big Ben is coming back from a very serious elbow surgery. I don't think we can be sure that Big Ben is going to be the same. And also one of the reasons why Juju was so good two years ago is because the Pittsburgh Steelers led the league in pass attempts, which we don't expect them to even do anymore because now they have an actual great defense, possibly the best defense in the NFL. They have no need to pass like that. I, I just I don't see in any way how Juju Smith-Schuster could end up as, an ARP, or as a wide receiver one, and he's basically being drafted that way. Yeah, you nailed it for me. If you're expecting the run-and-gun, killer-beast Pittsburgh offense, you're barking up the wrong tree. And I think you're right. Like Juju is a guy who, to me, is destined to end up playing with another great receiver at some point throughout his career and have like a renaissance at the end when he's paired up with someone who matches his talent level. But I don't think that that offense is structured for him to excel on his own. And I do feel like he is out there on an Island. Uh, and there's a lot of other guys who have a better opportunity to produce and return you a higher value on your draft pick, like a Robert Woods, than a guy like Juju who might end up tanking three or four rounds worth of value from where you took him. Uh, for me, I'm actually going to give you Amari Cooper as my last guy. Uh, so I went, I went back and forth on whether I wanted Gallup on my boom list or Cooper on my bus list. Gallup has risen far enough up boards that I think he's going to perform about equal to or above where he's being drafted. What I feel is that Cooper's going to finish below where Gallup is being drafted. So what's that mean? means that I think that Amari Cooper is going to finish as about an eighth or ninth round level of point return this year. And he's still being drafted in the third or fourth round in most drafts, uh, right about the same place where Odell Beckham is going in almost every draft is where we see Amari Cooper go. So it's weird because I think that Dallas's offense is going to be unreal good. And I think Zeke is going to have a great year. And I think Gallup is going to have an incredible year. And I think Prescott's going to end up being the third best quarterback uh, behind Jackson and Mahomes. But I don't think that Cooper is going to have a sustainable, and here's the trick for me, Wyatt, a predictable path to putting up large games. I do think that there's going to be some situations this year where Cooper goes for 40, 45 points and that a couple of massive games are going to end up carrying the weight for him. But his ability to put up a large amount of targets that make him a week to week sustainable player are not there. We discussed in our wide receiver episode about how many games he has given you where he goes for less than 10 points in a PPR format and how that can kill you 
and I haven't been able to come off of some of the analysis that we found about him when we were preparing for that wide receiver episode. So on my end, I've had to tank him way down to where he is essentially been part of my do not draft list uh, because he is long off the board to some other sucker before I would even remotely consider him. I'm not down on Amari Cooper quite as much as you. I, I think there's a place for him on my rosters. I think I'm still willing to draft him um, possibly even as my wide receiver one. It's just I'm doing it under certain situations. It's when I feel really good about the production that I'm going to get out of the players I've drafted with before Amari Cooper, I'm willing to take the ups and downs of Cooper because of his week winning potential on any given week. And I do th- still think that he's going to get get peppered with targets by Dak Prescott. And that's mostly just because I think Dallas is going to be throwing the ball a ton. They might be close to leading the league in, in pass attempts. So I think there's going to be enough to go around for everybody there. And I think Cooper's still going to get his. I mean, maybe, but when you're talking about Dak Prescott peppering people with targets, I think you're mispronouncing it because it's actually pronounced Gallup. <laughs> no, I, I, I think they're both going to be there. And you might be, you might be right that their finishes are probably going to be a lot closer to each other than the way that they're being drafted. Well, see, and that's what that. really shakes me in that situation, because if that's the case, man, and we can get the exact same statistical numbers four to five rounds later, why? Like, why are we taking Amari Cooper then? Why does he have a place on your roster? Well, I do. I do think Cooper's still going to outperform Gallup. I'm just saying I agree that I think that their finishes will be closer than they're being drafted as. Okay. My last bust is going to be Keenan Allen, who we've definitely hit on before about how we are not a fan at all. He's basically on our do not draft list, especially for me. He's going in like the fifth or fourth or fifth round right now, but he's lived off of huge volume from Philip Rivers in his career. Over the last three years, he's averaged 148 targets per year, and there's no way he's coming close to that with Tyrod Taylor. Hit me with, with who's that? <laughs> my probably my favorite stat of the offseason that Keenan Allen has averaged more catches over the last three years than any wide receiver had targets under Tyrod Taylor in his three years as a starter in Buffalo. Is that? So it's incredible. <laughs> so there's, there's just no way that Keenan Allen can live off of that volume. And I mean, he very well could still, you know, see 120 targets, but if he's seeing 120 targets for a guy like Keenan Allen, who has never been a big downplay uh, down the field threat, he's not a big red zone threat. He has to get 150 targets for a new relevant wide receiver option. If he only sees 120 targets from Tyrod Taylor, he's going to be a wide receiver three. So is there any path to him taking what might be those limited targets and turning them into a ton of good red zone work? Who's catching the touchdowns out there? Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams when he's healthy. It's never been Keenan Allen, and I don't think anything's going to change now. Yeah, I don't know how it would with Tyrod Taylor either. Um, I guess I would just warn, hell, I guess I'd warn you and everybody else to be careful about that situation because at in one breath wide, I want to tell you, well, like what if Justin Herbert comes in and turns out that he does start to get Keenan Allen downfield or throws the ball to him a ton? You might want to be careful of that situation But then in my other breath, I want to tell everybody who's on the Justin Herbert train, like you have no idea if he's going to play or not. So I I guess all I can say then is the uncertainty in the quarterback situation makes me want to steer clear of that situation even more so. 
I, I do not think Justin Herbert's going to be seeing the field anytime soon. The Chargers are still actually a good team, and Tyrod Taylor has made teams successful in the past. When he, he did it with Buffalo, he took them to the playoffs. I, I think that there's a good enough team there for the Chargers that with the schedule that they have to open the season, they're going to be at least a 500 team, and I don't think you're pulling Tyrod Taylor if you're at least a 500 team because you're going to be in the playoff race. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we saw the exact opposite happen in Cleveland. Although well, Cleveland once had a injury rough start. related, I guess. And, and I injury that. related. Yeah, he was he was in against that first Thursday game where the Browns won for the first time in what I think was 347 years. Uh, <laughs> but it was a little injury that knocked Tyrod Taylor out, and then Baker just never let him get back on the right. field. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like I, they do have a pretty easy start to the season where you would think that they would stay relevant. The longer they're relevant, the more likely they're going to want Taylor to just steer the ship in the right direction. And the defense can do the talking. Uh, maybe not that dissimilar from how you had described the Steelers, except for the fact that I think Austin Eckler is so much more dynamic than James Connor, that I think Eckler can run and catch and score enough to make himself a viable running back one uh, in that particular offense. But, yeah, with Eckler emerging and scoring as often as he did last year, you're right. I don't know where Keenan Allen's going to go to put points up. Finally, we're going to be given our top three movers, and these are players who have been moving up or down our draft boards the most over the offseason. My first guy is Ronald Jones, who has just been consistently climbing up our rankings. You know, when the draft first happened and they took Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round, I think both you and I were were pretty worried about who was going to be the actual running back. But as this offseason has continued, things have really kind of cleared up for Ronald Jones. In addition to getting all the great news that we've heard about Ronald Jones, you know, putting on more muscle and working on his pass protection and passing uh, pass receiving ability, we've kind of learned that Keyshawn Vaughn is basically going to be a non-factor. In fact, there was reports coming out that he's going to be mainly a special teams guy to start out the year. And the only other running back to worry about really is LaShawn McCoy, who's at the end of his career. And last year with Kansas City, he was a healthy scratch in the Super Bowl. So I don't think there's really much there. I'm kind of all aboard Ronald Jones right now. Yeah, you're really hyping up the team I drafted last night. and I do appreciate it. So <laughs> uh, I'm fully with you. I, I've talked as well about how I think Ronald Jones has got the ability to get it done. Um, I just will say exercise a little bit of caution. I do think that when it comes to Ronald Jones, that the ability to have this catastrophically go bad is still there. So that's part of the reason why I, for example, yesterday after taking Ronald Jones, picked in almost very quick succession J.K. Dobbins and Keyshawn Vaughn just because again if if Ronald Jones is not going to be your running back two and he's a bi-week injury fill-in where you're hoping that maybe he really explodes into your every single week RB2 you're okay to protect yourself by doing something like taking Keyshawn Vaughn a little bit later so you can have both of them I, I think that's a really really good mover um, I'll give you another running back but kind of go the other way I have started with a early third round grade on Jonathan Taylor and have now moved him back to where a lot of times I can't even stomach taking him in the fifth round of a draft because I am just so uncertain on 
how he's going to come out to start the season and what his role is going to be like with the Colts. So we took a guy where when he was drafted, all I could think about was his um, Wisconsin highlights, right? And think about how easy it was going to be for him to go stand behind what is a pretty good offensive line and just go for it. And then reality has set in and then COVID has set in and kind of made me more and more nervous about how well he's acclimating and how well Philip Rivers is acclimating and all the other moving pieces of that particular offense. So I've, I've had to move him down significantly from where at one point I kind of thought, you know, if, if guys like Sanders and Drake and Eckler are gone, Taylor's the next up at the beginning of round three, if you have to get a running back. And now as of last night, I think I'm taking David Montgomery in the forties and fifties before I'm even thinking about whether or not I want Taylor. So he, I think he represents my biggest move back of the season. Yeah, I I'm, I'm there with you. I don't know if I had him quite as high as you did once he got drafted, just cause, um, I thought Milo Mack was, you know, pretty good for Indianapolis the last couple of years. But you're right that he has just like continued to go back. Uh, we know that he's not really going to have much of a pass catching role because Naheem Hines is going to be the third down back for there. So if he's splitting first and second down work with Marlon Mack, even for just a few weeks, that really hampers his ability to produce. And I, I can't draft him where I have to rely on him. Yeah, and I think that we in particular have spent a lot of time in really good leagues where starting out like two and three ultimately makes it so that you can't put yourself in the type of position that allows you to achieve in the playoffs. If you get in, you're sneaking in at the end and the path is too hard. And Jonathan Taylor screams to me as one of the guys this year who might hurt your team in the beginning. And you still have to pay a pretty big price to get him. And I can't, I can't do it. What else you got? My next mover is probably going to be my favorite NFL player, just period. The mustache himself, Gardner Minshew. As a rookie, he was way better than people realize. I think because he was on that bad team and there was a little bit of back and forth with him and Nick Foles as to who the starter was. But he actually had a better touchdown percentage, interception percentage, and yards per attempt than Kyler Murray last year. And not only that. Incredible. It is incredible. And not only that, but this year they are poised to have to throw the ball 600 times because that defense is literally disintegrating before our eyes. And they're going to have no choice but to throw on every single down. If Gardner Minshew throws the ball 600 times and he's looks like he did last year, he might end up as a top 10 QB. I'm happy to reach for him. I like him more than Goff. I like him more than Mayfield. I like him way more than Daniel Jones. I like him more than Darnold. I like him more than Tannehill. I like him almost as much as Stafford. And I think that's about where we're at. So what what is on a lot of people's boards, a quarterback that is in the late teens or 20s, I honestly think might be 12 or 13 for me now. Uh, and he has moved up a lot to get into that range. Um, but before we move on, can we just do a quick PSA? To everyone at home, thank you for joining the JWB Fantasy Football Podcast. We would just like to tell you that despite what Bud Light may offer you, please do not draft Gardner Minshew as your first overall pick <laughs> in your fantasy draft for the purposes of screenshotting your pick and getting a free case of beer. I don't know. It might be worth it, depending do on the Do you league. think so? I do think that's really funny that his, his image and his hype <laughs> has been incredible. 
And it just it's so funny to me that we're talking about a guy who is being drafted like even in fantasy drafts, he's going way back in the late teens or 20s. But Bud Light's coming out trying to get people to take him in the first round. So I, I think the hype train on him is really starting to build up and get rolling as well. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if we start to see him appear as a mover and a sleeper for almost everybody else as well. So uh, if you like him as much as we do. Be, be prepared to draft him. I pulled the trigger on him a little bit early last night. You might have to do the same in your league as well. Um, you know what? I'm going to give you my quarterback then, and we'll just switch this up a little bit uh, from the notes we took before. But I'll go with Dak Prescott here um, for, I think, a very interesting reason. Uh, how is a guy who is third on my board who was third on my board before a mover, right? And here's what I got for you. Dak Prescott, although he has not changed in the rankings for me, has become someone who I am now targeting on taking earlier and earlier in drafts than I would ever really consider taking a quarterback. So for me, I am always looking at the board and I'm thinking if it is late in the third, if it's early in the fourth, and for whatever reason, Mahomes or Jackson falls into my lap, there we go. And if that's not who I get, that's fine. Stafford and Minshew are going to be there for me later. Matt Ryan and Minshew are going to be there for me later. Carson Wentz and Ryan Tannehill are going to be there for me later. I've always thought of quarterbacks as the late round pairs that work together for me so that I can take my running backs and wide receivers a lot earlier. But I love what I think is just a massively high floor for Prescott this year. I think that if you look back at how good he has been in terms of fantasy football and how underwhelming the Cowboys have been in real life, it suggests that even when the team is struggling, what we're seeing out of Dak the past couple of years might end up being the worst year that he has out of the next four or five years. Does that make sense, Wyatt? Like, if it turns out that the numbers we saw from Dak Prescott last year and the year before represent worse years than what we get out of this year and the next two, I don't think that that's outlandish. Do you? I, I, I don't. I, 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 like you, do think that he could be prepared for his best season yet. And I find myself asking, like, well, then why in the world am I not jumping to take him in round four or round five? If I'm looking at a guy here who is a top five quarterback already, and I really truly feel in my head like we've seen the worst of his years, and he's been a top five QB, like I got to go out and I got to get him. So I, I've made a point of targeting him, and it worked out last night. I was able to take him um, at pick 60 in a draft, and that that is just absurd to me because he's a guy that I'm comfortable getting somewhere in the 40s so my my recommendation and the reason why i made him a mover is because i think that it's a place where you maybe need to look at your league and if you can see mahomes and jackson go in front of you try and grab prescott in that spot because you're still going to get more value at the quarterback position than almost anybody else in your draft uh and i i do i think i think the floor there is just incredible my last mover is going to be Jarvis Landry, and this is going to be another one where it's actually going the other way, going down. Going into this year, I thought I was going to have Jarvis Landry like throughout the entire process as 
uh, high-end three, low-end two, someone who I would be very happy flexing and maybe even starting as a wide receiver every week. But everything's just kind of stacked up against him, I feel like, going into this year. He's recovering from that hip surgery he had in February. Uh, the Browns added Austin Hooper this year, who I think is going to occupy a lot of the same space and targets that Jarvis Landry would normally get in this offense. And with Kevin Stefanski coming over, we expect the Browns to run the ball a little bit more than they have. So I, th- I feel like just basically everything is starting to add up against Jarvis Landry, and I'm really kind of taking him more as a wide receiver four at this point, someone I, I'm only using when I have to. Yeah, I, I unfortunately, I agree with that as well. He was already a name that's not very sexy, and that's been the knock on him. We talked about how he's constantly overpor- overperformed his draft position because he's not a very sexy name to take. Uh, but I think you're right. I think we have identified here a year where it's probably going to go the other way, and having some caution there is smart. Um, for me, my last mover is one that has increased and that is Rob Gronkowski. Uh, it went from what I thought was almost a joke, him deciding to come back to football to a situation where I examined everything that I could possibly find in regards to what he had to say about his motivations for coming back. And they seem to be very, very, very good. Uh, and now I've started to look at what Bruce Arians has said and how I think they're going to target and use him in that offense. Uh, and the reason why he's been a mover for me is that when we look at that whole list of tight ends that are somewhat jumbled together, you have names like Henry, who's very touchdown dependent ahead of him. Higby, who is just as much of an enigma as Gronk is ahead of him. And then guys that we've discussed, like Jonu Smith behind, Dallas Goddard behind. There's names that I don't care as much for, like Gasicki and Cook, who are even with or slightly behind Gronk. Uh, And Gronk is bolted ahead of all of those guys for me to just above where Hunter Henry is. I think that I have him at like tight end six or seven at this point. And the reason for that is because I have faith that Gronk is going to give you a touchdown every other game or eight touchdowns throughout the year. And in most leagues, especially in standard leagues, eight touchdowns out of a tight end just locks in top 10 tight end position. Uh, And that's what I'm looking for. The more I think about it, like I don't I'm not taking Gronk in pick 100 because I think he's going to give me a renaissance Gronk year. I'm taking him and pick 100 because I think he's an odds on favorite to give me a good tight end game at least every other week. In a lot of years, that's hard to identify. It's a very erratic position. And I think you're going to have stability there with him that I'm not going to see at a lot uh, out of a lot of other late round tight ends. Yeah, I actually heard that he's actually practicing without that giant elbow brace that he had worn for however many years at the end of his career in, in new England for the first time, which is pretty wild. He is apparently a lot healthier and a lot fresh, a lot more fresh, I should say than I think any of us even give him credit for. So it, it, a little bit of has to be a question when you take a year out of football, do you do it because you're retired or do you do it because you need to heal? And in Gronk's case, right? Like he shed a lot of weight in both fat and muscle had what by all accounts would have been a pretty good regenerative amount of time away for his body, but then came back in to get his body, not into his old Gronk shape, 
but to get himself into the type of shape that would let him perform now for the role that he's going to have in Tampa Bay. And that is kind of what has done it for me. You know, like I Gronk and Brady don't seem to be coming out saying like, we're going to do what we did in new England. Like they have all the self-awareness that I would want them to have of this is a different team. We're different people. Here's what I'm going to be good at. And here's how we're going to utilize me. And that's catching touchdowns in the right circumstances. So if that's what I'm talking about, that each game, that offense is going to give me four, five, six touchdowns because I think that's what they're going to do is score five, four, five, six touchdowns a game. And Gronk is going to get about a one third share of that where he's going to get, you know, every other game or so in the end zone. That's massive. I got to take it at the position that you can get him where it's a triple digit pick. Yeah. If anything, you just want to get a part of the Tom Brady revenge tour this year. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. Catch our episode next week when we're going to be doing a mock draft where me and Justin are going to take a different position and mock draft together for everybody. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at WyattB underscore FF. Justin's at JWill underscore FF. And the show is at JWB underscore FF. And we'll see you next time. As always, thanks for listening.